Well, again, it's very good to be with you today. Uh, and we're still in the book of Colossians. If you're new here, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. We just have a couple of more weeks left. That's it. And then we're jumping into Easter. And uh, I'll get into it. I'm excited for a series that we're going to be doing on what it is to be in healthy relationships in April. And then some wonderful stuff coming up in May as well. As we're talking about, does God exist? Is Jesus really his son? Is the Bible truth? All those wonderful things. So it's going to be an exciting several months that we're walking into here at CP. Um, all that with the new facility coming in, but also hopefully with just more people coming to know Jesus. That's what really matters. Um, Colossians chapter 3, though, we're looking at that. And I'm excited about it because uh, it's addressing something today that a lot of times we don't get to address. And that is work and how we handle ourselves at work. Uh, we're going to be jumping into that. But let's go ahead and start with the reading of the word. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 and following. Um, Colossians chapter 3, 22 and following. And this is what it says. It says, bond servants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. A master in heaven. We, I tell you, everybody I meet today is busy, right? Everybody that I meet today, I'm so busy. Well, hey, would you like to come and do this? I'm too busy. Would you like to do this? You know, I'm just so busy. And then you offer them something they really want to do, and they go, well, I guess I can make the time. Everybody is busy, though. Everybody. It doesn't matter who it is. I, I've learned that, you know, we find a lot of fulfillment in saying that we're busy. I think we find a, we've got a lot of pride in saying that we're busy. Look how busy I am. And we find that we uh, are more important if we say that we're busy. But one of the things I've learned is people aren't necessarily working more. We're busier, but we're not necessarily working more. Here's how I know this. Uh, latest report uh, that has just come out, a survey says that the average person spends one and a half to three hours a day at work. Listen to this. One and a half to three hours every day on private activities, meaning things that have nothing to do with work. Over 60% of purchases online are between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. So the staff at Chapel Point, I am watching you. Right? One and a half to three hours on private activities at work every day. That's the average American. Every day. That's up to 15 hours a week. And then you go over 60% of purchases online are made between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. And I go, Wow. So yes, we're so busy, but we don't necessarily, maybe we don't work anymore, but we're just busier because we've crammed our calendar full of other things. And I think many of us today, let's just be, when it comes to work, I think many people have a poor theology, a poor idea, a poor doctrine of work. In fact, in our society today, we've made it a very bad thing that we have to work. Did you know that God makes us to work? 
And so one of the challenges we're going to be faced with today is how do we think about work and do we even process that in a proper way? And are we going to allow God to maybe shift the way that we compute um, working today? The Bible, I looked up, there's something called the Bible Dictionary. And this is what it says. It, it says, God has infused the act of work with meaning and divine significance. Enjoining upon humans an obligation to engage in work even as God works. We lack a basic, proper theology, doctrine of work. God designed humanity to work from the very beginning. And so we work because our creator worked, our father worked. We're made in his image to reflect him. And if we're made in his image, and that's what we believe, it says that God created us in his image. And so if we're created in his image, in his image, we don't get to choose which aspect or characteristics that we want to try to mimic. We want to mimic all of God, yes. We want to mimic all of Christ, yes. And so in being able to do that, we then explore different avenues, different aspects of it, and we go, okay, wait a second. It's going to impact how we work and the character that we have, the integrity that we have, everything else. And so here's the biggest thing that we're going to have to process today is are we willing to allow God to redefine how we speak of work, how we think of it, and how we teach our children and teach our grandchildren and speak about it with our friends. Anytime you get to represent Christ, it's something that you get to do, even if it is at work. And so we change the way we think about it. Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis is the creation story, of course, and so much more there. But here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and to keep it. From the, and this is before the fall, by the way. Some people think that work is a product of the fall. No, this was before the fall that God was saying, I need you to go and work it. I need you to go and to tend it. Some people think when sin entered the picture, all of a sudden then you don't have to do as much. You don't have to process as much. No, this is before the fall. Understand this. This is before sin entered into the picture. Because another thing that we believe is God created the heavens and the earth. God created us. And it's our sin that ushered in so many different problems. But God said, no, go work, go tend it. This is what it needs to be. This is how it is to be. Work is a gift, not a curse. Now, I didn't say that who you work for is a gift. We'll get into that. But work is a gift, not a curse. So I have a, a life that many of you don't know about. You're about to know about it. I, I love doing business leadership development. I love it. That's what I was doing last week in Naples, and I had to go to Naples to do it. it, it was, I, I suffered for the Lord. Um, and, and I love doing that. Because it puts me in real life. I mean, trust me, the majority of these people are not believers. It puts me in real life. And, and, and so when you go, well, Pastor, you just don't understand. I assure you, I do. They then, they tell so many jokes. And I can't tell you how many people, when they find out what else I do, how many people come up and apologize. I'm so sorry, I didn't know. Well, should that change anything? I don't really say that, but I'm, I'm thinking, should that change your conduct, Right? And so I go, okay, wait a second. It gives us an opportunity to evaluate and go, wow, you know what? When we get to work, it's actually our greatest mission field. It's our greatest opportunity to interact with others and let them know what we believe about Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't matter what you're doing. You have an opportunity in everything to reflect Christ in anything that you're doing. 
And the way that you exercise and the way that you shop and the way that you work and the way that you do anything, it doesn't matter what it is. You have an opportunity to reflect Christ even at work. Work is a gift, not a curse. And our attitude toward work is really that it allows us to earn enough money to do what we want to do, but it rips us away from our families and so we resent it. That's a poor view of work. That's a poor view of work right there. You just need to process that. In fact, why don't you all um, go home for about half an hour and come back after you've processed that, right? Because we need to sit in it. That work is a gift and it's not necessarily a curse. And so in Ephesians, I mean, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 3, what we are able to do is, it, it really, Colossians, the entire chapter of Colossians chapter 3 deals with how a Christian is to live life. It starts with the individual, and then it talks about the family, which is what Pastor Luke did last, last week. And now it talks about how we're to live life as a Christian, even at work. So it's dealing with all of these different aspects of our life and saying, this is how you should live. So it's this character of the individual Christian, and it's going to change you. Why? Because when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you now have a new standard that you live by. You're no longer living according to your standard or anybody else's. You're living according to the standard of the Word of God. And so you immediately, when you're a Christian, when you go, you know what? I'm going to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust him knowing that that is the only way to have salvation. He paid the debt of my sin for me. What a beautiful, rich, glorious thing. Knowing that, you now have a new standard. And immediately when you become a believer, you, you have this new standard, but also you end up with a new identity. And your identity now is, is that you're a child of God. So you have a new standard and you have a new identity and what that is helping us to understand is that when you're a Christian, to be a Christian means that you have a sense of being, you have a sense of belonging, which is the family of God. It means that everybody in this place right here is your brother and sister. That's why I love serving this church so much. We're all brothers and sisters. How cool is that? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here Paul is writing to Colossae, to the church who's been struggling. And he's saying, hey guys, you get to go live as a Christian now in your own individual life, but also as a family, also at work. You get to live differently and you get to do it as brothers and sisters in Christ for the glory of God. Consider, even in this chapter, chapter, consider what happens when someone comes to know Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, we find them, and these are things that we've already preached about in the uh, previous weeks, but you end up with someone who's an, a different type of husband, a new husband, a new child, verse 20, a new kind of father in verse 21, a new kind of servant in verse 22, a new kind of master in verse 1 of chapter 4. It keeps going and going and going. We're new creations in Christ, and so he's saying live differently. Even think about work differently. And so here he is, and he tackles this amazing subject that many, many people ignore. You see, a person's orientation to Christ impacts their orientation to society. And your, your orientation to society is radically changed when you've been transformed by Christ. 
And so even the way you work is different when you've acknowledged Christ as your Savior. You're not supposed to look like other people. You're not supposed to look like other people. Here's a simple way of saying it, okay? Is that transformed lives lead to transformed communities. I believe that. That's why in a facility that we're constructing, there's going to be rooms, and I'm going to be encouraging businesses to come and use those facilities. And I'm going to say, you know what it's going to cost you? You're going to have to let us just pray for you. And if you're not letting us do it publicly in front of your people because you're afraid of that, we're going to be doing it in our offices, and you just need to know we're going to be praying for you. That's the catch. It's a pretty good catch, isn't it? That's why we're building a facility where we want the community to come in every single day and to find a safe place to have community and to ask questions about who God is. Because once you encounter God, everything else begins to change a new standard. You have a new identity, even at work. If you have a relationship with God, right, it has social ramifications. Now think about that. It impacts the society. One of the greatest ways you know that the church is no longer fulfilling its purpose that God has intended for it is when the church is no longer impacting the society in which it lives. And guys, it's more than saying, hey, we're going to give you some free clothes or we're going to give you some food to eat. That's part of it, but it's so much more than that. You're supposed to look different when you've encountered Christ. And if you don't, it's simply because you have not truly encountered him. And at work, we look at this and it addresses this issue. Why? Because we know that Christianity should have a great impact and a great influence, yes, on the home, but also at work. Enormous impact. Pretty much every conference I go and I get to speak at and lead a discussion with, it's always like, okay, you seem a little different. Why do you do this? I shouldn't seem any different. Not when a third of them probably declare Jesus Christ as their Savior. I shouldn't look any different. It has nothing to say about me, honestly. I think it has to say something about them. I shouldn't look any different. Christianity, you need to know, Christianity is both doctrine and life. And a spiritual life is impossible without contact with Jesus. A spiritual life is impossible without contact with Jesus. And our relationship with others is the actual proof of our connection with Christ. Your relationship with other people at work, at school, it doesn't matter where it is. Your relationship with other people is the proof of the connection that you have with Jesus. That's the proof. And so we consider all of this as we tackle this passage. Because really this is a passage that's God's plan for work. And he's writing to bond servants, which means he's writing to slaves. These people were actually property of the person that they were working for. They weren't employees, they were slaves. But we can actually look at this because they were the property of the master, right? But we can look at this as employer and employee as well, though. And we can learn a lot about it. 
Because if he's telling that even the servant, the slave should be doing this, we should certainly be doing it when we are not the servant or slave to anyone other than Christ. And so we get to look at this from the standpoint of our own job, our own relationship with our employer, whoever that may be. And we all have someone who oversees us. Some people go, well, Joel, you're the lead, so you don't have anybody overseeing. No, I do. The elders. I'm responsible to the elders. They, every year, they have a review of me. They're constantly speaking with me, and I'm responsible to them. We all have one. And I, so I am to submit to that leadership that God has put over me, even though I also lead them. And I need to do that respectfully. And so when they speak, I need to listen to that. I need to pray about the things that they say. We all have those relationships in our life. And so as we're entering and we have those types of relationships, then we get to go, how are we handling them? How are we handling them? And how are we working? It says, don't just work, it says, with eye service. Basically, it says, don't just do a good job when the boss is watching you. Right? I would think that as a believer that if your boss is leaving, if your leader is leaving for a week, that they're so amazed at what you did when they were gone, it blows their mind because you worked so diligently to prove, you know what, you're faithful and you're honest and you're a person above reproach. Your, your integrity and your character cannot be questioned. And so you're willing to work in that way and all of a sudden you start to look different than other people. Right? They say 94, here's another of the stats of this survey I was reading, 94% of people take things from their office that don't belong to them. Every one of you promise that you will return the stapler that you stole. Right? That matters, doesn't it? And what you do is what we end up justifying why we do it. Well, they don't pay me enough anyway. You still made an agreement. Right? It's the same reason that when uh, about three, four weeks ago, I go to Qdoba, and, I, and maybe uh, this has happened in my life so many times, right? You go eat somewhere, and then your kid, they say, we, I just tell them, we all want water. I'm not giving you $18 for my size family for Coke, all right? And it looks awkward. I started carrying the two liter in with me, and that was just strange. Um, so I, I, just water all the way around, right? And then one of my kids gets Sprite because they think it looks like water, and I'm like, dude, I can see the bubbles. And so then what do I have to do? I have to go up to the register and I bring them with me and I say, hey, I'm sorry, we need to pay for a soda. And they say, that's, that's $2.06. And then I tell my six-year-old, you owe me $2.06. And then he goes to his older brother and says, can I have $2.06? But that's still stealing, guys, because you make an agreement. You're making an agreement. And even at work, 94% are taking things that don't belong to them. It's a matter of character. It's a matter of representation. Is that the image of God? And so we have to evaluate this. And so it says, this is what he wants us to do in verse 23. It says, whatever you do, this is really what it's saying. Whatever we do, we are to do as we are doing it for the Lord. No matter what it is, that's why we say everything you do says something about you. Everything you do says something about you. Everything, it doesn't matter what it is, everything you do says something about you. And so we're to do everything as though it says, and the, the literal Greek says that we're to do it enthusiastically, and it says working from the soul. 
You know what that means? Working from your depths. You're doing something from your depths because it means so much to you. And you're not doing it for the eye service as people pleasers, but you're doing it, it says, with a sincere heart. You're doing it earnestly. That's what I always look at when I'm supervising anyone or evaluating something. I'm looking at if someone did it earnestly. With a, another way of saying earnestly is to say that someone who had a sincere heart, I don't look for people in my life to surround myself with who get everything right. Otherwise, I'd be all alone, right? And I would be the one making the most number of mistakes. But I do look for people who are earnest, who have a, a sincere heart in what they're doing. And he's telling us that we should be working earnestly as we're doing it for the Lord. And we're to be doing it with a sincere, an earnest heart. We're striving to represent Jesus in that way. And guys, here's the good news for believers. It's getting easier to stand apart from the rest of the world. I always look at the opportunity, right? Not the obstacle. Here's the opportunity we have. The world is falling apart in such radical ways, it's easier to look different. <laughs> Amen? It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be hard for us. We get to reflect Christ, to give God glory in everything. And so as a result of that, even in the way that we choose to work, it means you're, you're always early. Right? And I grew up kind of hardcore with that, that if you're late, what you're saying is someone else's time is less valuable than your own time. It's complete arrogance. And so I go, well, you should always be early. Right? We don't ever, when you talk about even, let's go to athletes or anybody else, right? You, you talk about the certain athletes that are considered to be the GOAT, like the greatest of all time in any aspect whatsoever. And they're the ones who all, people are going, man, you know what? They're always there before anybody else and they always left after everybody else was gone. Nobody ever says, man, they were, they were always late and they always left early and they were amazing. They were just so amazing. No, nobody says that. What if we could represent Christ at work where they go, why are you living like this? It doesn't even make sense. Well, because I get to reflect God. I'm so grateful that God didn't show up late on us. And so we get to reflect who he is and what he's done for us. And he says, don't just do it just to be a people pleaser. Anybody with discernment, knowing if you're doing something, they'll know if you're doing something and you're actually not sincere in it. You're actually, it's a horrible witness. Just, I'd rather you just don't tell them that you're a believer. You make it harder for everybody else to have a witness. And so we have to work in order to please God. Working in order to please others is actually um, showing that you have a pursuit of self-glory rather than giving the glory to God. Incredibly arrogant. And so our, our work should point others to God. Our work, the way we do it, should point others to God. Is the way that you're working pointing others to God? The way that you're doing everything in your life, is it pointing others to God? Another way to ask it is, who are you really working for? Who are you working for? It's a great question to ask, isn't it? You can write that one out. Who are you really working for? And if it's only for yourself, guys, guess what? It's all going to go away. What a miserable life to think that, you know, I'm going to work, 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 and it's all just for me. And we all know, listen, once you die, 
It, it doesn't matter what you've done in life. It doesn't take long for people to forget you. It just doesn't. And so you want to live a life that people remember, and they're going to remember because of what you did for God. I think about that with my father. So it's been about 10 months since my father passed away, and my mom's really struggling right now with a lot of grief. And I think one of the reasons she's struggling with grief so much is she, my father knew he was dying. And so he bought her a new car, and he did all these different, he fixed up different things on the house before. And she kept asking him, why are you doing all this stuff? I would ask him, why are you doing all this stuff? He knew that he was dying. He didn't share that with us, but he knew it wasn't going to be long. And one of the things that we just found out that he did 10 months later is he hired someone to come plant hundreds and hundreds of John Quill bulbs in the yard because that's my mom's favorite flower. And so they're just now, 10 months later, coming up. And so she goes, Joel, every time I drive into my yard, I cry. Every time I wake up, I've got 10 vases of John Quills, and it doesn't look like I made a dent. I don't know what to do. And it's because he lived a life that lasted beyond him because he was trying to reflect Christ, not himself. He was trying to project the love of God at all times. What a difference it makes. Is that how you're working for God? Who are you working for? It tells us the Lord, verse 24 says, the Lord will give you the reward of your inheritance if it's him that you're serving. If it's him that you're serving. And so whatever you're doing, work for the Lord. Serve with the full heart, total commitment, because it's the Lord that you're serving and not yourself. It even tells us later on in verse 25, it says, it says, and he that doesn't do this shall receive for the wrong which he has done. And God will not respect that person. God knows if you're sincere in what you're doing. God knows if you're sincere. It even addresses masters. It says, give masters. That means if you're, if you're supervising someone else, if you have responsibility over someone else, it means that you need to give your servants that which is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, you better be treating them as you would want God to treat you. You'd better treat them as you would expect to be treated. And so many people are so concerned with milking as much as they can from someone else when they themselves want to be given as much mercy as possible. You better be treating others the way that, guys, if you employ other people, the way you treat them, every single time, and when they think of you, they had better be thinking of Jesus. That's what this says. And if they think that you are vindictive and that you're just going to use them no matter what and that you're going to take advantage of them no matter what, you're painting a horrible picture of God. It really, all of this goes back to chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, if you're risen with Christ, live it. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, right, if you've accepted who he is, then you need to live it. Colossians 3, verse 1. That's what this whole chapter, it comes back to verse 1 over and over again. If you're risen with Christ, you need to live it. You need to take off the old. You need to put on the new. You need to let the word of Christ dwell in you in verse 16 and verse 17. It it says that you need to let the, the name of Christ guide you in the decisions that you're making. The result is a new 
person, a new man, a new woman, a new husband, a new wife, a new child, a new parent, a new slave, a new master. All of these things are new because we recognize what Christ has done for us. And so it's a matter of then really what is motivating you. What is it that motivates you to live a certain way and the way in which you work? What is it that you're motivated by? So it's not only who are you working for, but it's what are you working for? And if it's only the dollar, if it's only money, then you're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself. Did you know that if you have proclaimed that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are always a minister of the gospel? Every single one of you. And some of you are going, you don't understand. I can't really have much impact at my job. Yes, you can. I don't care what it is. Come talk to me and I'll prove it to you. I've done every job there is, it just seems like, right? I mean, I started young. I may have been working for people illegally. It does not matter. But in yogurt shops and in cutting grass and in restaurants and all time putting cookies on shelves and working for management and all kinds of things. I've done so many different things. I used to pay for car insurance by cutting truckloads of firewood. Yes, we have firewood. Don't touch it. We'll let you know when. And the way I would do I always gave them more than I said I would give them. And it had an impact. It made a difference. Even as a 16-year-old driving around a giant pickup truck, cutting loads and loads of firewood. If you're risen with Christ, live it. And we need to know that that which motivates you, it reveals what matters most to you. Here's a simple way of saying it. You do as you believe. You do as you believe. That means you act according to what you believe. You speak according to that which you believe. You conduct yourself according to that which you believe. You do as you believe. And everything you do as you believe, the way that you work is a matter of what you believe in. I've yet to find anybody in Scripture that says where God is talking about who he used and how he used someone who was just incredibly lazy. Representing Christ gives you a natural energy to be able to work hard because you know that you're working for the Lord in all that you do and you get to reflect his image. I used to also remodel lots of homes and bought those, flipped them, all the kinds of things like that. And I remember I, I started trying to hire some of my old students that I used to minister over. And I fired three of the six that I hired. Because they were lazy. I was like, you guys aren't working for the Lord. I know, we're working for $8 an hour. I'm like, yeah, but you're saying, so, this was a long time ago. That was good money. And so I would say, hey, I'll be back in a couple of hours. And I would just pull around the corner. I'd get out and watch to see what they would do. And they wouldn't work. And I'd walk up and say, I'm sorry, I can't hire you anymore. You've been released of your duties. Here's a cheeseburger. Because they were working for self, not for God. You do as you believe. You do as you believe. You do as you believe. And so here's, I want to give you four things that I think you can do at work. I'm going to give you four things. These aren't on the screen. 
Why? Because I stayed up forever last night and God kept speaking to me. Four things you can do at work according to scripture if you want to reflect Jesus Christ. Anybody here want to reflect Jesus Christ at work? Say amen. Four things. You ready? First, speak God. I love hearing all the paper, by the way. Speak God. Speak God into normal daily conversations. If you naturally have a hunger for Jesus Christ, it's easy to steer back to God. No matter what you're doing, it's easy to do. So we need to recognize, and here's a passage for it, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. And so speak God. Remember, you do as you believe, and so if you're speaking him, it's because you believe in him. So speak God. That's the first thing. Second thing, strive for excellence. I'm going to go quickly. Strive for excellence. I always say you can't pursue holiness without pursuing excellence. Staff here hears it all the time. You can't pursue holiness without pursuing excellence. But this is what some passages of scripture says. It says Proverbs twenty two nineteen says he will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He's asking, do you see someone who's given everything he has to do well? Because if so, he's going to make an impact. Ephesians 9.10, whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Whatever you do, do it well. Ecclesiastes 9.10. A passage that you're going to see here, Proverbs 18.9 says, Whoever is slack, whoever is slack, whoever is lazy in their work is a brother to him who destroys. Is a brother to him who destroys. And so, yes, we need to speak God, but we also need to strive for excellence. There in that passage, a lazy person is being compared to one who destroys. Remember, we get to work. And so we want to speak God into daily conversation. We want to strive for excellence. Third thing is we want to bless others with what God allows us to earn. We want to bless others and how we treat them. Right? It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28. And so we want to, yes, speak God into our normal conversation, right? We want to strive for excellence, But we also want to bless others because of what God allows us to do. It should get you excited to go to work tomorrow because you don't get to reflect you. You get to reflect God. And I want to say, how many of you are excited to go to work tomorrow? But I'm afraid I'll only see hands of people who are under the age of 14. So we want to speak God, we want to strive for excellence, you want to bless others, and then fourth, do all, do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. Let everything that you do be done in love. Why? Because you do as you believe. You work as you believe. Your faith is a direct reflection of how you're working. And so we're challenged in that, aren't we? Because really, our society teaches do as little as possible unless you're trying to only gain for self and then be done with it. 
And so we want to speak God into every conversation. We want to strive for excellence. We want to bless others. And we want to do all of it in love. Why? Because you do as you believe. You do as you believe. Here's a great question for you is what impact is your transformed life? Right? We want to be transformed followers of Jesus. Changed people. What impact is your transformed life having on the community, the place of employment that God has put you in? I want to close with a story with you today. Um, I, my oldest son's middle name is Patrick because I love St. Patrick's Prayer. I've quoted it to you before. Um, I was married on St. Patrick's Day as well. That's this week, isn't it? I'm glad my wife is not in this service. I got to get her something. Wow. That just destroyed. Like, if you have any ideas, women, let me know later on. Um, that would really help me out. Um, but I want to tell you some of the story of St. Patrick. All right? And then I want to I share some of his prayer with you. And then I'm going to let you share in reading some of it as well, okay? Um, it's really an amazing story because here's a guy who, he ended up being able to share the gospel with a very pagan people. And it was around 400 years after the birth of Christ that this is happening where he was taken, he was in Britain and he was taken captive and he ended up being taken to Ireland. He was abducted from his village and he was thrown onto a slave ship that was headed for Ireland. And he was a teenager at the time and it was for roughly six years that he began, to having, he began working as a slave. And it was through, even though he grew up in a Christian home, his father was religious, his mother was religious, he grew up in a religious home, right? A, a Christian home. He, he wasn't really buying into it until he became a slave in Ireland after being abducted. And so he goes over there, and it was through trials and hardship and suffering that he really came to know the Father. And he came to know the Father as his protector. He came to know Christ and his sufferings. And he became united with Christ. He, be, he came to identify with Christ and also with Holy Spirit. Well, the people in Ireland, they worshiped multiple gods. They, as I said, they were also very, very pagan. And as he is a slave there, he then ends up, he ends up having a dream. And that dream says, you're going to run away. You're going to get on this boat and you're going to go back. But then later on, you're going to come back and serve me here. That's what he did. He went home and he ran away, got on a boat. He had to convince people to take him back. He went back, found his parents, and they said, never leave again. And he says, I have to. The people that I've been a slave to, I need to go minister to. Doesn't this sound like the story of Philemon and Onesimus? Go read the book of Philemon. And so he goes back after being a slave, and he wants to minister to them. The very first thing he has to do is he needs to help them understand that there's only one God. And so he's constantly speaking about God and, and everything else. But one of the things that he came face to face with were the Druid priests. And the Druid priests really are directing all the worship to, to themselves or to false gods. And it was on St. Patrick's very first Easter back in Ireland. Think about it. It was Easter morning. 
Easter morning. And it was at this time that he took a stand that nobody saw coming. You see, part of the pagan worship of fall to spring and from the beginning uh, uh, and also from winter to spring and each season, summer, etc. Part of that was to, to light this fire on a hill. And they would have no other lights allowed in Ireland except for that one light being lit, that fire. And so Patrick wanted to have, he wanted to be taken before all the priests and all the leaders. And so what he did on that morning was he lit his own fire on a different hill, knowing that they would come and take him away for that. And so they did, they came, they took him away, and they brought him before all the Druid priests, the pagan priests, and they brought him before and said, why are you doing this? And he did it so he would have an opportunity to share with them about Jesus Christ. This is a cool guy, right? And some of them that very day came to know the Lord as their Savior. Others wanted to kill him. But he kept sharing Christ. He kept sharing, after being summoned before this Druid king, priest, he explained that he wasn't a threat, but he was bringing the new light, the light of Christ, the Savior of the world, the light of the world. And so he ends up writing these types of words. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the ear of everyone who hears me, Christ in the eye of all that see me. And then he says, I bind myself to the strong virtue of Christ. He knew who he was working for, and he knew that he did as he believed. I mean, he escaped. He could have played it safe, stayed home. I think most people would have done that. But God spoke to him and he says, those people who you've been a slave to need to know what it is to be a slave to me. And so this is what I like to do. Before we conclude with the song today, I'm going to invite you to share in those words that I just read to you. And so I'm going to, I'm going to divide you guys up. And, I mean, if you, can't, if you can't call out a prayer to God with any kind of enthusiasm, you do what you believe. We're going to divide it. This half, that half. That's not hard to figure out, right? If I raise this hand, that means you guys are calling out something. If I raise this hand, that means you guys are calling out something. If I do like this, that means you're all calling out something. If I break into jumping jacks, you can feel free to follow. All right? I'm going to start with you guys. Does that work? Let's throw the first one up there. Are you ready for this? Are you, you guys ready for Like, if you speak these words, let it matter. Like, it's going to impact how you work. It's going to matter. And it's going to impact how you speak God in those situations. It's going to impact how you do everything this coming week. So, like, if you speak it, just know you may be held accountable to it. So, are you guys ready? And you just need to, know, you need to know whatever you do, they're going to try to do it better. I'm going to do it with you, though. Ready? Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, 
Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, everybody just read it, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone who sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, I bind myself to the strong virtue of Christ. Say that again. I bind myself to the strong virtue of Christ. Why? Because we do as we believe. And I believe in the name of Jesus. Because he's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of compassion. He's a God who says everything you do matters because everything I did for you mattered. And I gave my life to die for your sin so you can live in eternity worshiping my father. That's an awesome God. That's an awesome God. I mean, come on. He says this and you can't earn it because you're not good enough. And so I'm going to do it for you. I bind myself to the strong virtue of Christ. You want to know what we do around here? In everything we do, we're trying to bind ourselves as a church to the strong virtue of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. And every decision that we make, we don't make decisions based on what people are yelling at us. We make decisions based on what God is speaking to us. We bind ourselves to the strong virtue of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's worship that God right now. God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I give you thanks for who you are. And I ask that you give us the strength and the zeal to worship you like never before. That, that we would bind ourselves to who you are. That you would be to our left and to our right, above us, beneath us, within us. That you would truly be in the heart of everyone who thinks of us. That after they encounter us, they don't remember our name. They remember the name of Christ. May you receive all glory.